There's also this song that's called To God Be the Glory by Lou Bellingham. And praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And give him the glory, great things he has done. And that's exactly where we're at today. That's exactly where we're at in the sermon. Again, giving more and more and more praise to Jesus. Because what we ultimately believe about Jesus affects how we worship him, affects how we follow him. You know, is he our living reality? And that's really the, the overarching of this entire letter of, to Colossians, to build faith. Because Colossae was not a big city. It wasn't popular. It wasn't like Rome or, you know, Corinth or any of those other bigger cities. It was just small and insignificant, if you will. They were shadowed by Hierapolis and Laodicea, but here they were getting a letter from Paul. The, the apostle who spread this movement and, you know, created so much more, you know, through his sodality of ministry by going and visiting all these places and starting all these churches. But it was always giving praise to God and always encouraging the brothers and sisters in the Lord to grow in their faith of Jesus. And that's, again, exactly where we're at. It's timeless. 2,000 years ago, it doesn't matter. It's timeless. It's the same thing. Jesus is the same yesterday as today as tomorrow. So how's that for feedback? <laughs> yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so, again, what we believe about Jesus is he our reality. Hold on to this. And therefore, just trust in Jesus and not in culture, ultimately. So, dear Heavenly Father, again, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for moving us in the Spirit. I pray for all of those who are here as well as those who are not here, that they may be encouraged by your word, that they may find time to uh, be in your word or listen to your word being preached or just uh, being with you, Lord, being in Christ, being part of your kingdom, surrounding ourselves with the church. And so, Lord, in this moment, we just ask your richest blessings on our lives for everyone and that you continue to sanctify us and make us grow in this moment as it is our greatest desire to know you and to love you and to serve you because of what you have done, but more so because of who you are. So we love you, Jesus. It's in your name and we'll forever pray. Amen. So the text today is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Right on. And it goes like this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Again, remember Paul says, in him, in Christ, or in the Lord, 164 times in his epistles alone. It's a big deal. It's a big theme that we really need to reconcile and to think about. But starting with the first point, Jesus is Lord. Live in this truth. Like, if there's anything I can tell you and look at you, you know, straight in the face, is that Jesus is real. I'm not up here because there's some, you know, motif to get something or to come ahead in life by preaching God's word. I'm here because Jesus is real and Jesus is Lord. And this is the truth that I have come to realize and to accept for reality and life in general. And this knowing and having hope and having love and having faith and so we see also you know the bearing the increasing in knowledge like the strengthening the enduring the growing and the thanksgiving and then in verse 9 to 14 as well we see reasons to be thankful we see that we're sharing an inheritance with christ that we're adopted as sons and daughters and that we are blessed in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And there's so much that we don't even understand what that fully means yet because it's the not yet reality of life that we're living, but we're still with him. And we also see that we're delivered us, that he has delivered us from sin, that he has called us to be a part of his kingdom. And then we also see that he's given us redemption. He's restored us. 
He's reconciled us to a right and a real relationship. And he's forgiven us all of our trespasses because we're at enmity with God. We're against him in all of our ways because we're bent on our own path and our own way is the right way. Not God's way, not anybody else's way. We might agree with other people, but typically we're all on our own way until we realize that there is a design and there is a purpose for life apart from our own individual understanding. And that is God's way. And he reveals that to us. Then we see in verse 15 through 23 of chapter 1, the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and the reason to praise Christ as the Messiah. He is the promised Messiah to Israel in the Old Testament and is the revealed Son of God in the New Testament. So he's bridging the gap between the Old and the New Testament, bridging and changing because of the gospel to involve not just Israel anymore in God's plan of salvation, but the Gentiles too and all of the world. So that it's a multicultural, ethnic, and diverse family called the church. Also, it answers those four fundamental questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What is wrong with the world? And what can be done to fix it? And again, all those answers can be found in Christ and in God's original design. Then we see in, in the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, our calling as the church and the suffering and proclaiming the word of truth as we are sanctified and to be changed and that we are given the ministry of reconciliation as what's spoken of in 2 Corinthians 5. We're a new creation. We're an ambassador for Christ. And we are part of God's plan of reconciliation, both within as well as outside of the church. But wait, there's more, even on top of that. But we're going to get to that in the text. But this is just the therefore. This is still just the first word in the sentence. And so we see that in verse 6 to 8 here, after the therefore, we, we read again what exactly Paul is referring to in the therefore. And he's just saying, look, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, acknowledge him as Lord. Walk in him and with him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so, just to start off, this received, because there's a lot of misconceptions there about, you know, I, I welcomed Jesus into my heart, this, that, and the other, uh, that we have as far as salvation goes. It's much more deeper than that, because this is something that they were taught. And this shows that those who were in Colossae were probably more likely Jews, especially when we read this text, because there's so much Old Testament, you know, alliteration and references in this that it only makes sense that they had already known about the Messiah, that they had been receiving this. And so when Paul went and preached to the Jews as well as the Gentiles, the Jews would understand the characteristics of what the Messiah would look like, what the Son of God was here to do, and, and how he was to reconcile you know, them back to God in the first place. But Paul probably says it best in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Again, this is receiving the Word and understanding the Word. It all comes from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I delivered to you what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So remember these roots. Remember the roots of where we come from and how, how we got there in the first place. That the Old Testament isn't old and worthless and useless. It shows very much the character and the development of God. And it was all about the prophecy. And when the Holy Spirit ties the Old Testament and the New Testament together through the life of Christ, because the entire Bible speaks of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so even the shirts, love Jesus, love people. Like we don't want to say just God. It's it's Jesus in everything. That it opens up new doors and new avenues and new ways to look at things because how we see God is how we see people and, and how we feel about God influences how we feel about other people just the same as what we may do for other people in that regard. And again, building up of the faith, understanding Colossians. And so this first part, we received Christ Jesus. We've understood. We've heard. We've heard this gospel. We've heard of that perfect life. We've heard of the burial. We've heard of the death. We've heard of the resurrection. But do we believe it? Do we walk it? Do we understand it? Is it, is it why we're here in the first place? The answer hopefully would be yes. But it's not always that case because it takes time. God has to give us faith to know that indeed he loves us and he cares for us and that he's working and moving in our lives and we don't always see that because we're spiritually blind and deaf to the way that god works we only are tangible human beings we don't understand the spiritual realm and the reality of where we're at in life so understanding this there's two ways to go about it Either Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, or we see in verse 8 that we can easily be led astray and that we can be captive by philosophy or empty deceit, human tradition, the elemental spirits of the world, and things that are not according to Christ. And so we see this. And I don't want to go too into detail about the things that aren't Christ because we are here for Christ and Jesus. But in this, there is so much philosophy. We talked about the creation of the world and taking a faith stance on one of it, whether it's Big Bang Theory or evolution or whether there is intelligent design and that Jesus has raised this world. Either way, none of us were alive to be there, so it was all done in and through our own faith. And human tradition, too. Um, there's so much to be said about human tradition because we continually add things that suit us, that make ourselves feel better, that we earn something, that we do something. And even in Matthew chapter 15, you can see what Jesus says about human tradition. And it's not that it's all bad, but it's not the thing. It's not Christ. And what are the heart motives behind why we do the things that we do? And so in Matthew 15, the Pharisees are getting all over um, the apostles because they didn't wash their hands before they eat. And then Jesus is like, it's not that what comes into your mouth that defiles the body. It's what comes out of your mouth. And again, that comes back to heart motives. Because it's not what we eat that's going to defile us or make us led astray. It's, it's what we do, how we react, how we respond, and those heart motives. And then the, the vehement anger sometimes of how it comes out of our mouth and in our throats. 
And so the observance of festivals even, like why, again, are we doing the things that we do? Is it because we feel that we have to do them? Or is it because that we want to do them to honor our Lord? Jesus has always been about heart motives. Always. Always, always, always been about heart motives. It's not adherence to the law that, that is salvation. It's surrendering to Christ that's salvation. And understanding that He has completed everything. Doesn't mean that we do nothing, but at the same time, what's not according to Christ is what's not according to Christ. And so elemental spirits too, what they're talking about here, things unseen, how many things unseen are there in the world? There's tons of things unseen. Like we go back to little bacteria or viruses even that we can't see, you know, that's going on, that's holding a world hostage right now in a sense, you know, these little things that are unseen. And so the spiritual realm absolutely does exist. Think about what uh, Paul calls the devil in Ephesians, the prince of the power of the air. He's a thing unseen. You know, all these trials and tribulations that we have Sunday mornings sometimes because of technology or, you know, misplaced this or misplaced that or just uh, struggling in the morning or arguments or whatever. Again, those are spiritual warfare too in, in its ugliest form to keep us from doing what God would want us to do because we would end up quitting. But here's just, again, the bottom line and it says this in verse 8, not according to Christ. So any authority for life has to come through God's word. Otherwise, we're left to, again, the prince of the power of the air and elemental spirits. It could be human tradition. It could be philosophy that we're just like, well, nobody knows, nobody knows. So there's no stance, but there needs to be a stance. And so Jesus, his Lord, live in this truth. And therefore, trust in Jesus, not in culture. <clears throat> so, going on to the second point. Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. And this is what's so important about Jesus, is that He is everything that we need from God. Because He is God. But, in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Again, if we go back just one, one chapter to what uh, Paul says in verse 15 through 23, the entire deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, you know, the fullness of God dwelled within him, as well as the richness of his grace and his mercy for humanity. And then he became human to do exactly what we could not do, and we are in him. And so, again, able to accomplish what we could not, another reason to trust in him because if you've ever tried to keep all 613 of God's laws you find out very quickly that you can't keep any of God's laws and when it comes to judgment day have you broken them or have you not broken them there's not a well I haven't been that bad there's no gray area with God there's I've done or I've done not I'm guilty or I'm not guilty and it's again in the humanity of Christ, doing what we could not do as the reason why He is our Lord and Savior, while we can trust in Him, because He is the only thing that we can trust in. And I would hope that we could all see that, especially right now in the world, because I, I kind of wonder what on earth I can believe, and what on earth I can't believe. 
because it changes day to day. Nobody knows. Nobody has any idea. We're just kind of sitting confused sometimes, but we know what to do. We know how to live life. We know how to love other people. We know how to love our families and our friends. And we shouldn't be scared to do that because that's what God would want for us, to live that life for his glory in love and in grace and in mercy and in comfort and forgiveness and reconciliation. And even though it's really hard, the Holy Spirit has been given to us in Christ as well to make this more reasonable and more you know, attainable for us because it's not in our human nature to be that way until God revitalizes that spiritual nature and the things unseen and the elemental spirits. And so think about that in the first part. Jesus, the fullness of God with all authority, and you are in him. So what does that mean for us? It means that we are taken care of. It means that we can turn to our Father in times of need, and he will hear, and he will listen to us, because he is for us. And if God is for us, then who could possibly be against us and stand against us? Yes, there are people, but at the same time, God loves you. And so God will work within us, within the church, as well as within us individually, to continue to bolster and encourage one another and grow in the faith. So we see also in this section, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And you're probably thinking to yourself, geez, Eric, didn't you just say the elemental spirits, like not in Christ, all this weird stuff that goes on. But here's the reality of it. This, again, is a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament to show the reality of what God has done in the spiritual nature to be to die, to be buried, and then to be raised with him. Again, go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. That's what we started this church on. That was the first sermon I ever preached was 1 Corinthians 15 because it's probably the most important, understanding the gospel. So I delivered as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. If you know nothing else, about the gospel, then this is the best starting point for you because you have to understand why. And Paul even talks about this why. And so I wanted to go back. There, there's several instances where God talks about circumcising the heart in the Old Testament. And the first spot is in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, it's also, again, in Deuteronomy 30. It's in the prophet Jeremiah when he's talking about the heart being deceitful above all things and to circumcise your heart. talks about it in Romans chapter 2 as well. But I chose Deuteronomy chapter 10, and I just want to read this for you just for a brief moment because it's beautiful what God has done for us spiritually. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, 
the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And I'll stop there. But just to see what God had planned long, 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 long before Jesus actually came on the scene. Because you've got Deuteronomy being the first five books of the Bible, the original Torah, the original, you know, holy scriptures to Israel at that time. And God was already talking about what he's done. And you realize at the same point what God has done within you spiritually to change your heart, to circumcise your heart, also follows along with what Christ Jesus came to do. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and then he was buried and then raised on the third day so this circumcision of the heart is symbolically dying to self and we read more about this uh, as well from paul in in galatians for it's no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me and so there's this symbolic dying of self. And that's exactly what baptism is too. And that's what he's talking about here as well. And you have been um, in him, you were circumcised, and then you've been buried with him in baptism. So you're dying to self. Remember in Deuteronomy, he's talking about don't be stubborn. Again, think about humans and their, their sinful nature, egocentric nature that makes everything about themselves so that that part of you has to die. It's no longer just all about you. You're living your life for others. You're living your life ultimately in service for the Lord, but your family, your friends, again, more ministry circles. But Jesus is all sufficient in that. And so let's read what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, because this was a new concept, baptism, to the New Testament. It wasn't something that was from the Old Testament. But if you remember, when John the Baptist came on the scene, as well as um, you know what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So baptism, again, is symbolically and spiritually, think about the circumcision of the heart, spiritually dying to self. Baptism is that. It's that outward profession of an inward faith. It's not that baptism earns you something, but it shows others and the church and everyone around you that you are dying to yourself and living for Christ, that you have indeed acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So he says this, What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And it keeps going on after that. There's even more. But again, understanding baptism, understanding, again, dying to self, being buried, being raised again. That's the reason why we do what we do is because it's the symbolic glory of what God has done inside of us, not changing the outside of us, 
but the heart motives of the human. And that is, you know, why Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. Think about his life and then think about how your life patterns after his life in that. And that should hopefully give you encouragement as well as grace being like, yeah, I really didn't even know why I wanted to do these things, but now I know why I wanted to do these things because God has ordained these things in my life to go about and to do this. So Jesus, again, all sufficient in this. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn from the dead as well, that we might follow in his footsteps, that we might have that opportunity to be an heir, that we might have that opportunity to be a part of heaven and his kingdom. And so trust in Jesus, not in culture. And so lastly, this third point, what God has completed in the gospel of Christ. And this is, again, more amazing testimony to what God has done, and which is the reason why I started singing that song, To God Be the Glory. You know, give him the glory, great things he has done. And that's exactly what this reminds me of here, because Jesus has done amazing, great things. Because you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so God made you spiritually alive in Christ. And we've said this before. We can go to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 again too. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You're not alive to the spiritual reality of life when you're born. The only time is if Jesus causes you ultimately to be born again that you are able to repent and to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We all kind of wish we were over there having fun with him, don't we? <laughs> In a sense, I, I see it. We're all like, what are they doing? What are they doing? And they're going to come over here all messy, and you're going to be like, I'm glad I didn't do that because I don't want to be all messy. <laughs> but at the same time, yes. Let's get back to the sermon. <laughs> what God has completed in the gospel of Christ. And so he made you spiritually alive. And, and so the spiritually alive, being born again, uh, we talked about this. You see the symbolism of what God had intended. You know, turn a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, make it real to circumcise. And then, of course, baptism, being buried as well as being raised with him, that we may be found in him. We do this willingly, not under compulsion. We don't have to do it we want to do it to glorify our god because we realize that you know he again is the way the truth and the life and he indeed loves us and wants to be for us but making you spiritually alive in christ we talked about this quite a bit and how what in christ means but more so think about it this way you want to see how god sees people you want to feel about people how god feels about people and you want to help people how God would want to help people. These are the ultimate changes that happen in our lives, and especially as the church. We do see people differently. In fact, we see the entire world differently when we're in Christ. We see that there's a purpose. It's not just meaninglessness. There's not just nothingness. There, there is joy. We go back to the catechisms, and they say very simply, the whole duty of man is to glorify God 
and enjoy him. If we go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the whole duty of man, he says, is to keep his commandments and glorify him. And again, it's a repetitive theme. But how awesome is that? Not just that that butterfly flew right in front of my face right there, but how awesome is that, that our God, you know, like it, it adds so much more to life just knowing our God. Because how many times do we toil and we spin and we try to make these meanings for life that just aren't really meanings for life? And then how absolutely crushed and devastated might we be when those meanings for life that we make don't come to fruition apart from Christ. And that's the challenge. And that's part of being spiritually alive in Christ is to have that peace with God and to have that peace of God in that whatever we do, it's going to be okay because there's victory in Jesus. The battle is already won. We will be with him someday. So whatever trials and tribulations we may be you know, having, just knowing the final outcome again can give us that reassurance to move forward in the trials that we are having. So God made us spiritually alive with him by forgiving our trespasses. So we want to see how God sees. We want to feel how God feels feel about people, how God feels about people, and to do the work that God would want us to do. And again, heart motives, not that we have to, but we want to. Because have to is legalism, want to is glory to God. God has forgiven our spiritual, our sinful debt against him by faith through grace in Christ. Um, the Bible speaks very clearly that we're all going to have a judgment day. Every single human being on this planet will have a judgment day. And when you get to that judgment day, you're going to most likely be asked, why should I let you into heaven? Many people will be like, well, I did this, I did this, I did this. And then God will be like, well, wait, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? So you're guilty. Okay. Or many people will say, well, I'm not that bad, God. Or, you know, there's many other things. But here's the thing. None of us are good enough. The only one that is good enough is Christ. So if you're, if you're involved in religion, which is, you know, do you want to go over there? <laughs> no. <laughs> right on. So if you're involved in religion and trying to make the most of it yourself by climbing up this spiritual ladder, you're going to have a hard crash from that ladder because you're going to not measure up to God's standards. The only one who has measured up to God's standard is, our, is God himself, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, which is why we need to put our trust in him in all of this situation that, Lord, even though I know that I'm not good enough, I trust in Jesus that he was good enough for me. And that's the only reason that I have any chance to be with you in heaven. That's the proper response when we get to judgment day, as opposed to, well, I'm not that bad, or I did these things, or I did that. Because again, there's guilty or not guilty. And that's the only way that we can be not guilty is because Jesus led that sinless life on earth and died and took that wrath of God that we so rightly deserve. 
And so this, again, probably one of the most amazing things because it deals with redemption, deals with being bought back from the slavery of sin that we have. And in that redemption, we are reconciled to our creator, that we might have that right and real relationship with him, that we might see the world differently, that we might, you know, enjoy life <laughs> a little different. And so that judgment day. And then lastly, too, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And very simply, the, the spiritual powers, the, the evil that happens in this world, the spiritual warfare and the challenges, remember this and remember this first and foremost, there is victory in Jesus. He has overcome all spiritual issues and principalities and authorities that might lead us astray, that might lead us somewhere else because it's just a beautiful thing that God has defeated all the spiritual enemies, even death in this and so we see what god has completed in christ by making you spiritually alive by forgiving our sin by giving us faith through grace and defeating all of the enemies even death that we might have an option for newness of life and so jesus paid it all that much is for sure and there's a lot of spirituality out there in the world today and many times we can be easily led astray to believe that Jesus plus something will save us and or possibly make our lives better. But it's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing that we need to rely on and that we need to put our hope and our trust in. Paul emphasizes the supremacy and all-sufficiency of Christ for salvation in this text. It's hard for the common reader because you have to understand the Old Testament, what he's talking about with circumcision as well as burial and resurrection. But we see what happens to us in Christ that is all sufficient for living. And we see how Christ has completely satisfied our debt to God so that we have been forgiven and that we have been freed from sin. So praise the Lord in all of this and to see this because this is a very powerful, very powerful text from a very powerful, very awesome Lord and Savior God. So dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word and I thank you for your truth and I just thank you for what you're doing in our lives and the lives of the church. It has turned into a beautiful Sunday morning despite the rain, and I just thank you again for that. And Lord, as we go out today as well as next week, Lord, keep putting yourself at the forefront of our thoughts and our minds. Allow us to see life through your eyes. Allow us to have communion with you, not just in this moment that we physically have communion, but to have communion with you on each and every day of our lives and to understand and to think about not necessarily what would Jesus do in this situation, but how does this glorify God by doing this in this situation? Lord, we know that we can't be you, but we thank you that we have the opportunity to know you and to love you and to serve you. And we just, again, give you great praise and thanksgiving and joy not just for today, but for the rest of our lives. So Lord, we just ask your richest blessings in our walks. It's in your name we will pray forever. Amen.